Good morning. <clears throat> How's everybody today? I want to go back here. Uh, we're in Romans, the 8th chapter. And I want to talk about this this one issue, this, this one thing that that is said in verse 31, and then we'll move on. And that is that, so, what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? So God has determined to stand with you. God has determined already that he is going to stand with us, not against us. You hear what I'm saying? He's, he's determined that in his heart. God has determined before the foundations of the world that he is going to stand with you. And then he says, then who can ever stand against you? Um, so let's go now. And then he says later on in verse 33, that God himself is the judge who has issued this final verdict saying not guilty. Okay. So, so I, I love this. He says, so in verse 34, so let's go on here. Uh, th this thing about uh, not guilty, you can find in Isaiah 50 verse 8, where he's talking about there's no guilt left. All the guilt is gone. Okay, so let's go to verse 34. Who then is left to condemn us? I love this. Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? I just love this. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. And problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, they are, uh, I love this, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. I, I love this. This is like part of my favorite, my, my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, here he says, he says, who's left to condemn us? Now, you have to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. All right. A lot of people, you know, when, 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 when you hold them accountable for things in their life that are not who they are, which is really what it's all about, is, uh, you know, they will say, stop condemning me. Well, we're not condemning you. We are looking to have you better than you because you're better than what you're doing. And that's what conviction does. Conviction says you need to stop doing that because you're better than that. That's not who you are. Okay? You're better than that. That's not who you are. Okay? Condemnation says you are your faults. Okay? That's your identity is what your faults are. Okay? And, um, and, 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 and you, have to, you have to recognize this. And, and again... You have to take all of this in the context of chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. You have to take them all in the context because he's talking about here that who is left. All those things are there. So who's left to condemn you? If, God's, if God says you're not guilty, who's left to condemn you? And it's really no one. No one is left con to condemn you. It's not Jesus. 
He's the anointed one. He's not Jesus. He gave his life for us. Okay, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Next verse says, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The son didn't come to condemn. The son came. So if he were to condemn us, that he would go against the very reason why he came here. This is really good. And I want to iterate again that, you know, shall we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. You know, you're better than that. That's not who you are. You are better than doing stuff like that. You have a destiny and you have a purpose and you're, and you're, and the sins that we commit are trying to keep us from our destiny. And, and, and what is our destiny? And we can look in chapter eight again. I, and, and, you know, and again, there's so much here. He says, um, for, for he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us. This is our destiny. This is our predestination. Okay. For the Calvinists from the beginning to share the likeness of a son. That's what we were predestined for to share the likeness of a son and to be co-glorified with him. And basically, you know, uh, God is just, you know, exposing the enemy for who he is and, and just saying, like, listen, I'm going to show you how good I am to these people. I can be so good. I can forgive their sins and treat them well. <laughs> I love it. Let's look at some of these things. Let's just look at some of the issues that are here just in these verses that we read. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, I love it. He has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us? If you go to um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, um, he says here, uh, uh, let me find the verse. Let me find the verse here. <laughs> I love it in this in this chapter. I want to read it, but um, he says, "Oh, death!" Here it is. He says, "Death is swallowed up." It's verse fifty-four. I'll read the whole verse. It says, "And when that which is mortal puts on immortality, and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up by a triumphant uh, victory.'" So death, tell me, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? If it, uh, it is sin that gives death its sting, and the law gives sin its power, but we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So now, beloved one, stand firm, stable, and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. You have to see this, that, that death is swallowed up. Death is no more. Death Death has been conquered. You know, somebody said that, um, um, you know, that, that, that the grave has been conquered through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and death is the final foe, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is the final foe, and it's already defeated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, a, a friend 
wasn't really a close friend, but still a friend nonetheless. We led worship um, together in Olympia, uh, Washington, many years ago. And, um, and she passed away yesterday uh, of liver cancer, and she went home to be with Jesus. And it's like the Bible says that precious to the Lord is the death or the sleeping or the passing of his saints. So what happens is that, 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 that people, this is what I believe. I don't have a scripture for it, but this is what I believe. And, and, and you can disagree with me. It's fine. I don't mind. But this is what I believe. I don't believe that Christians experience the act of death. I don't believe they, they, they do that. I believe this, that their soul is taken immediately to heaven and their body dies out. And so that, that's, that's what I believe. And you, know, you can take whatever, you can do whatever, with it, whatever you want. But I believe that a believer has to recognize that death is swallowed up in victory because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for our sin. He took the punishment for our uh, freedom. He took the punishment, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, that the punishment for our peace was laid upon him. All right, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that those people that receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives will end up um, not being judged. Now, don't get me wrong. God will make sure that you know he's molding you into his image because in Romans 8, again, I want to reiterate this verse that says that our destiny is to share in the likeness of, of his son, Jesus. God wants us to share in the likeness of Jesus. And whatever doesn't look like Jesus, God wants to get out of us, okay? This is really, really good stuff. And if you're not getting it now, your spirit is getting it, and he's going, and it's going to be revealed to you. And he says, uh, he has conquered death, okay, Jesus has conquered death, and is now risen. He rose from the dead. He is exalted. The Bible says that, uh, uh, that, that God glorifies him, glorified him. And uh, he's enthroned at God's right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he continually, uh, since he is continually praying for our triumph? You know, Jesus, every, every prayer that Jesus prayed got answered. And the only one that's still getting answered is that we may be one, even as, as him and the Father are one. That we may be entwined together as believers, as a body, even as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, okay? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Who could ever separate us from God's love, his Son, the, the, the love of Jesus? Who can separate us from that? Nothing in the universe has the uh, power, has the ability to diminish his love toward us. Do you realize that that even though we do something's wrong, if, that we do some things that may not be right in God's eyes, that that doesn't dictate whether or not God loves us? The Bible says that everyone that loves is born of God and, and, and knows God. But if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. Say it with me. God is love. It's not what he does. It's who he is. All right. 
It's not what he does. It's who he is. He is love. And nothing can ever separate you from that. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. He loves you. And that'll never stop. Well, Tom, do you mean that when I when I uh, sin, that God that God loves me? Yes. You mean when I turn my back on God, God loves me? Yes. Do you mean when when the most vile, pedophile, or 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 murderer, or thief, or rapist acts like that, that God loves them? Yes. It's hard to swallow, but it's true. God still loves them. He doesn't like what they did, and he doesn't like what they do, but he loves them because he is he can't deny who he can't deny himself. He is faithful, he can't deny himself. But it doesn't mean that that's what he wants us to walk in. He wants us to be better than that because those things are not who we are because why we are destined to be in the likeness of his son. This is really good stuff, and it's hard to comprehend it, but you have to understand it. You have to get it in your heart that you are still alive, and therefore you did not commit the unforgivable sin. You can still repent. You can change the way you think, which is what repenting means. You're turning in the other direction. I'm not going to walk in this way. I'm going to walk in the way of the Lord. There's a verse that says, this is the way, walk in it. That's what you do. So I don't want you to feel like you are rejected by God because you're not. Are you going through a hard time? Are you going through a dry time? doesn't mean he's rejecting you. could mean he's testing you or trying you to, to, to mold you more into his image. How did Jesus handle stress? How did Jesus handle um, discouragement? I mean, I don't know. I don't see Jesus ever discouraged. I don't see him ever stressed out. It's not written in the scriptures. Zeal for his house consumed him, and he got upset when they were when they were cheating and and robbing from people uh, uh, for uh, on the for the sake of the sacrifice. They were defrauding people for the sake of the sacrifice, and God says, "I desire mercy." other than sacrifice. But people in, in the temple in those days, they were selling things to make money, not, not so that people had the ability to make a sacrifice if they were poor, but they had to buy these things. Now, there's one thing, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't have um, a herd of sheep and you don't have a herd of whatever you needed to sacrifice. You don't have turtle doves. So they were selling them. And, and and some of them were probably, some of them started out doing good. And then, then they realized, oh, we can make money on this thing. And then that's when Jesus, he says, hey, listen, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. 
but you have made it a den of thieves. And he overturned the tables. And they got upset at him because he didn't go after, um, you know, because because he 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 stopped what they were doing because they were defrauding. The same thing happened in Ephesus with Paul. Paul leads this woman who was the big money maker for Artemis, um, the god of the Ephesians. Is it Artemis or is it? I don't. I don't remember. I don't. I don't Anyway, it's, it's, it's in the book of Acts. You can read it. And, um, and, and so Paul says, you know, this woman gets saved and they got mad at Paul because he took away their money, ability to make money born out of a religious spirit. See what I mean? And what, what, what's happening is they were stealing money from the people coming into the temple based upon the religious spirit, oh, you can't go in there without a sacrifice. Shucks, tax collectors, sinners weren't really allowed in the temple. And that's not what God wants. God wanted a house of prayer for all nations. I love IHOP out in Kansas City. I have a friend who does IHOP. Uh, he, he, he works at, um, or he's a missionary for IHOP on, on, in New Jersey. And a tremendous place, International House of Prayer. I desire at some point to get a a, a, um, a storefront here, you know, in, in in any city that I live in. But right now I'm in Reading, so get one here and start an, a a house of prayer for all nations. That's God's desire. This endless love of God's anointed one. He just has an endless love for you. He loves you. Hear me. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants the best for you. Does that mean you're not going to go through struggles? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is he loves you in in, in the midst of it. Does it mean you're never going to sin? I hope so, but it's not true. You're going to. You know, why would he put it in First John for chapter 2, where he says, uh, I'm saying these things that you don't sin. So there's a possibility that we don't have to. But he says, but if you do, which means that there's a possibility that you will, we have a defense attorney, Jesus, who still loves us through the process. And so we, like David, can turn around and say, you know, um, uh, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. One thing about David, he knew how to say he was sorry. And he didn't have any problem saying he was sorry. Against you and you only have I sinned. Purify me with hyssop. I mean, yes, he did sin against Bathsheba by having sex with her. And he wasn't married to her. But David says, Against you and you only have I sinned. And David had a New Testament mindset on the forgiveness of God that many in the Old Testament didn't have. Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't have. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection or angels. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you had the Pharisees who 
believed in all those and also the rest of the Old Testament, but they didn't recognize the Messiah. For nothing in the universe has the ability or the power. You know, it's like the, the same word that that uh, any spoken word of God has the power to fulfill what it was set out to do. It's the same word here. Has that ability. Well, nothing in the universe has the power, has that ability to diminish God's love for us. And the problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Your problems don't shake heaven. God doesn't stand up there and go, oh, no, what am I going to do? He doesn't furl his brow. And I don't know. I didn't, this thing didn't even come into my mind. You know, he didn't do that. What he did was he made a plan. He made a way of escape. And that's the scandal of grace. That he would die for, for all our sins, past, present, and future. And if you really think about it, all of our sin was in the future when Jesus died on the cross, right? Well then, what about persecutions and deprivations? Or what about hunger? What about nakedness? What about the depravity? No. The, I love this. I love how the Passion Translation says this, and I, and I love it. He says, no, for they are all impotent, powerless, to hinder unlimited, powerful love. Love that is all-powerful. For they, these things that try to separate us, are impotent to hinder omnipotent love. It can't hinder God's love. God loves you. Can you hear me? God loves you. One of the things that really upset me was when when uh, um, preachers, some there's a few preachers that started preaching that God is good all the time. And, uh, and, and and they got into, uh, literally, a lot of people got really upset at that because it took away from their religiousness that says that God is looking and he's mad at you and that God wants you to live perfectly. Does God want you to live completely, com complete and whole in him? Yes. What happens if not? Well, you get broken. There's a lot of broken souls out there. And the funny thing is, they don't know they're broken. So what they do is they try to break you so you can be like them because you intimidate them. It's called narcissistic behavior. I went there, didn't I? Okay. Um, and you want to walk away from that kind of stuff because God isn't narcissistic. He loves you. He's looking out for your highest good with no concern on whether you return it or not. It's un conditional. I had somebody arguing with me that the, the word unconditional love is not found in the Bible. Like, what are you talking about? In English, it may not be there many times. I mean, the translators have to translate it from uh, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. But what they, what they have that word in Greek called agape, which is unconditional love. He loves you unconditionally. Hear me. He loves you unconditionally. I want you to look at yourself. Well, pretend you're looking in the mirror. And I want you to say this after me. I want you to say, God loves me with no strings attached. Loves you. No strings. He just loves you. Well, that's all we're going to do today. And I just wanted to say thanks for joining me. Um, 
you know, I don't know what time we'll do tomorrow. But uh, God bless you guys. Have a great day. And, uh, and I hope you listen to the podcast at least, uh, which is recorded at the same time. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll do those things together. Share these things. Share the videos. Um, we need hope in our society today. Um, there is a major battle going on, a major battle between good and evil. And, um, and what's happening is there's a lot of lies going on around society, and we need to turn that around. Okay? And so we will do that, and we will, uh, we, you know, we, we'll just do that. And yes, Hilda, his word is unconditional love. There's no conditions. There's no strings attached. I often ask people if somebody's going to donate money to my ministry, I'll ask them, well, what are, what are some of the strings? What is it that you want? And if they want anything, if they want anything in return, I just say, I can't promise that. So keep your money. I don't care how much it is. Anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you the next time.